AI is eating the web as we speak. And what that means for business leaders is this. The time to embrace AI technology is now. Because for people like us, automation helps us do more with less while continuing to meet and exceed business expectations. It's basically magic. If you haven't tried HubSpot's new AI features, you should do that. Content Assist and ChatSpot are two brand new tools that will immediately save you and your team a whole bunch of time. HubSpot's features run on ChatGPT Tech to help you make compelling content and manage your CRM way faster than before. We're talking ad copy, data analytics, workflow automations. So work smarter, not harder, and head to hubspot.com forward slash artificial dash intelligence to learn more about using AI to streamline your marketing, sales, and customer service ops. Yo, everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Techish. <laughs> It is one half of your hosting duo, Abadesi of Hustle Crew here, joined by... Michael Behane of Pocket and Pocket Jobs. You know, I never know whether to say joined by or joined with. Um, if anyone's a grammar expert, let me know. Hello, us. Um, so this is a bit of a Founders special. Founders special. Founders edition. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was investing in yourself. Mm. Okay. So one of the things that founders are notoriously bad at is investing in themselves. Mm. We're always pouring our time, our energy, our our effort, our money into the business. And this year has been a very interesting for uh, interesting year for me as an entrepreneur, um, because it's been a year where I've really tried to actually lean into investing in myself. Mm. So to be specific, I invested in Chief, as you know, mm-hmm. um, which is a women's network. Uh, it's an amazing clubhouse. Um, they're a unicorn valued company founded by two amazing women founders. And it is filling a wing shaped hole in my heart. Um, but the other investment I decided to make in myself was, uh, fly private, the mastermind by Sophia Amoroso of business class fame, nasty gal fame, DC fame, uh, girl boss fame. And it's really interesting because there's a version of myself in the past that would have thought dropping tens of thousands of dollars on training, community, right. access to my peers would have felt ridiculous. Yeah. Not going to lie. I'm a bootstrapping founder. Um, every, you know, penny counts. Um, and sometimes we do see money spent on ourselves as opportunity cost. Right. Mm-hmm. Every penny I put on training is one less thing to spend on marketing, salaries, yeah. whatever. So I guess the question I have for you is how should a founder make that decision to invest in themselves? How do you know when it's the right time? How do you know you can afford it? And before you answer that, I'm going to tell you something that a friend of mine recently shared. This is something that their business coach said to them, a business coach that they're working with. When you invest in yourself, it's also a rallying cry. It's a challenge to find that money and plug mm, that hole. That's true. When you say, I'm going to invest 10K in this, 50K in that, 100K in that, Damn. that's the challenge to find that extra 100K. That is true. And make it up. And I also am a big, big, big believer. And this is based on my observations going from a very humble childhood to suddenly a very privileged childhood. Uh, I've talked about it on the show before how I went to boarding school. Um, I've also noticed it in the business world, different companies that I worked at as an entrepreneur, you got to spend money to make money. That, that's, yeah, that's true. You know, that is how capitalism works. Like mm-hmm. wise investments, wise choices, unlock opportunities and access to capital. So with all these things in mind, I'm just curious, how do you know when it's the right time? 
Yeah, and it's a good you know question. What you can afford. That's another difficult question. I think it's all on a case by case basis. Mm. I'm notoriously bad at this sort of stuff, to oh, be honest with you. So I would say that to me, if I'm investing in myself for network, so let's say joining yeah. Chief or Soho House, for example, I yeah. think where it makes which sense, you're a is, member of. which I'm a member of, where it starts to make sense is where if you know that you're selling a high ticket item in general. Yeah. So for example, let's say. I don't know. Let's say cheap. Yeah, exactly. Let's <laughs> say cheap is like $7,000 for the year or so house is like $3,000 for the year. Mm. And you know that actually, if you just sell one item out of one of your Rolodex of products and it's that, that can cover that, then all of a sudden it's worth it. Totally. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you, or if you know, if you close one deal, one client, whatever, whatever, it can pay it all off in the end. Mm. Um, and then, and then some, so you can find more clients potentially. That's when I think it starts to make sense in terms of just like actually from the mental perspective. I think if you are struggling with accountability. Yeah. If you are struggling with, um, you're stagnating, there's no growth. I think there's always a good, you know, a good chance to allocate capital. What you told me about the Sophia Amoroso thing that was interesting is that a lot of their messaging was around, let this, if, if, if your revenue's at a certain point, this should only be one month's revenue. Basically the expense of this basically, right? I won't say the number unless you're, unless you're comfortable saying it, but basically if you're in that situation, then allocating, you know, 10% of your annual revenue is a cheap expense. If you're in a situation where you haven't gotten the revenue, you're in a situation where you struggle to get the business off the ground or you're declining severely, I don't know if that's the time to be making those sort of investments. I yeah. think you've got to come from a position of strength and you are trying to say, I need more accountability or struggling for growth. That's when it makes sense. Um, and besides that, I think, yeah, just stick to low ticket items, <laughs> like a massage <laughs> for now, right? Because that is an investment in yourself, into your mental health, into your mental well-being. Absolutely. But in terms of like those high ticket, like community type stuff, like I think you've got to be in a specific position to do that. I also think that sometimes we forget that time is something that we can spend too. Mm. And very few founders choose to spend their time, to your point, on re-energizing themselves, seeking joy. And even when we do, it then suddenly becomes really performative. Like, oh, I've got to make a reel about this. I've got to make a post about this. I've mm-hmm. got to make a story about this. And then suddenly what was supposed to be your source of rest or rejuvenation becomes another piece of work yeah um which we've spoken about on the podcast before this commodification of rest and stuff but i definitely think that one of the things that i would really challenge an entrepreneur to do if you're looking at something like business class or cheap or so house and think gosh i wish i could afford that what is a small way that you can recreate that like if what Mm. you're looking for is like a safe space what way can you block out a certain amount of time which is not dedicated to working it's just dedicated to like going to an event, vibing, reconnecting with people, like exploring something creative and interesting. Because I remember the early days of Hustle Crew where I genuinely felt guilty if any unit of my time was spent not in pursuit of growing the company, scaling the company. Like I wouldn't even be on my laptop to watch stuff because I'd be like, I have to be creating another pitch deck. I have to be cold emailing another investor. Let let me be the bad guy and say though, but you got to where you wanted to get to though, didn't you doing that? Mm, So that's, 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 I don't want to say the word devil's advocate, but basically Mm. you are who you are and you got to where you got to, which is, a successful bootstrap founder with a yeah. team. But at what cost? At, at what, cost? what cost? Yeah. You know, cause I think burnout is real and I feel privileged to be in a position now where I can bet on myself and invest in myself. Um, it was a hard decision to make. I'm not going to lie. This is a five figure sum that I'm paying to get Which on one this, is this? Uh, the mastermind, but chief as well. Chief is like close to five figures too. It's not, it's not far off. And this is a year where, like I said, on the podcast before I was revising my PNL on a weekly basis mm. throughout January and February you know, my profit and loss, because I'm the kind of person where it's like, I want to grow at least 50% year on year. Like maybe that's just wild delusion, Mm -hmm. but that's just how I want to be. And I feel like I can bring the energy, the team effort, the sales machine to match that. And this year was really hard because 
commitments that we were relying on fell through mm. and the demand for our work as people within inclusion, workplace inclusion has fallen. Yeah. We're not a top priority anymore. And that put me in a real spiral of doubt and worry and to make it to three quarters through the year and realize we're profitable. We're not growing, but we're profitable. Um, was really reassuring. And there was a little bit of scarcity mindset where I kind of thought, but then is it wise to invest in me and mm. invest in myself? But then I kind of started to do some actual data crunching analysis. And what I started to realize is that business survives a lot because of my network, yeah. me being in the right place at the right time. With the right people. And I am the best salesperson of my product. You know, when I share my story and I talk about why I do it, people fall in love with it and they want to bet on me. So a part of me also thought this is a kind of a win-win where I get to be in places I want to be, but also, you know, boast about my business. So maybe there's to some extent an advantage to a service-based business like mine. There is. Yeah. To be fair though, they say that 20% decline is the new staying flat. So if your business has stayed flat, you've basically grown as far as I'm concerned oh, okay. in, this, in this market. We're in like, money. Yeah. We're in the money. yeah. It's interesting though. So what, does success look like when you go to this mastermind with Sophia Marissa? She'll be there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what does success look like in that context to you? If you in a year's time, yeah. what do you want to be telling me about your experience with that product? So one of the things I really admire about entrepreneurs in the US when I am there, and especially entrepreneurs in my space, is that it would not be uncommon for a service-based industry to, I'm thinking of like Bloom, for example, Avery Francis, based okay, in yeah. Canada to immediately be a multinational company. So you might be based in Canada, but you're thinking of all of North America. Mm -hmm. You're like, I've got clients in the US, I've got clients in Canada. Oh, maybe I'm even going to like start spreading a bit further afield, mm -hmm. Central America, Caribbean, whatever. Yeah. And I really admire that. And I feel like here in the UK, we kind of just get stuck in this island. Yes. We are just like, oh, we're the only ones that speak English. So we're not going anywhere else. Or, mm -hmm. you know, France have their own thing. Germany have their own thing. Scandinavia have their own thing. All the different countries there. So I think one of the things I'm really looking forward to is expansion. Like actually thinking intentionally about how to take my business to other borders, other places. Who are the right people to partner with to make things like that happen? I just want to think big. I think sometimes in the UK, we just think small. We're all small thinking. Yeah, that is, that is a problem and here. And it's, it's pervasive. You know, I, I think all the time about how we become institutionalized in the community that we're in. Yeah. And we all start getting that group think. And I think I just want to like snap out of that a little bit. So that's like one of the things I'm looking forward to. I'm also looking forward to a little bit of like delusional optimism. Yeah. I just feel like it's been like an incredibly pessimistic year here. And that's exactly exacerbated by the british way of thinking like we're inherently negative people that love to complain yeah we do we love a good moan fest and while american optimism can be borderline toxic uh at the worst of times there's something in it that ultimately drives innovation and drives growth and drives yeah. that you know blind ambition and that, and you know whether it is naivety or not i just want to be around it i know it will be an international group but yeah. it will be predominantly people in the u.s so i think that's some of it and then like thirdly one of the things that's been really important to me especially after i got made redundant from my vp role and decided to focus full-time on my business was to be really intentional about the spaces that I'm in and the people that I'm around. And one of the things that really drew me to this was, and you know, maybe I'm going to sound arrogant, but whatever it is, what it is. If you find yourself being the smartest person in the room, a lot of the time, you're in the wrong room. You're in the wrong room and yeah. this is for you. And 
you know, I have reached this point in my career where, you know, hustle crew turnover, uh, you know, seven figure AR in our bumper year, we're still trying to get back to that and be consistent with that. But I was like, well, I want to be around people who without VC funding mm -hmm. are turning over eight figures, nine figures, 10 figures yeah. consistently. What can I learn from them? And some of these people are doing it with kids, with responsibilities whilst traveling the world, like things yeah. that I don't even have on my plate and they're functioning and they're happy and they're fulfilled. So another thing that I just really wanted to do was just like be around people who I aspire to be. And even just having access to Sophia, I feel will be uh, incredibly valuable. I think back to the week that I spent with Arlen, her mom, who are both exceptional entrepreneurs in their mm. own right, right? Her mom's got her glasses on now, which is incredible. Just through osmosis, the amount of information I was able to gain spending that time with Arlen and, and, and also seeing her in action, the discipline, the focus, the drive, little habits, little behaviors. I was like, I'm gonna copy that. I'm gonna remember that. I'm gonna do <laughs> Taking that. Notes. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's also going to happen. And there have been a lot of inflection points in my life where I've been around greatness and observed things that can only be learned by being in their presence. I think of times I was in the AngelList office around Naval, times I was at a product hunt offsite around Ryan, um, times I was hanging out in, you know, the techish studio with my, my boy, Mike. Ah. Um, no, but like, there's something about being around people who are doing really cool things where you just like learn a lot of stuff. So I'm also just like really excited yeah. for our LA retreat in April, hanging out with Still Sophia sharp and still for and real. Ladies. Still sharp and still. And like, yeah, like you said, if you're doing you know, under a million a year in revenue and you're in a room full of entrepreneurs doing 10 million a year revenue, mm. all of a sudden you're going to start thinking bigger. You're going to start thinking that actually 1 million isn't actually, you know, it's the floor. It's not the ceiling basically. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I spoke about this before. One time I snuck onto a zoom call with all these media entrepreneurs. Sam Parr of my first million was organizing it. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, there was, he was tweeting about it. Media entrepreneurs hop on. I said, yo, let me come on. I got on. There was guys in there doing a hundred mil a year. Wow. So it was, there's a guy called Pomp, Anthony Pomp. He's got like a, he's like a bitcoin guy but he's got a large media empire there was a, there's a, the founder of juggernaut which is like a south asian led media platform mm. which is quite big in the u.s now there's a lot of amazing entrepreneurs killing it and some of the things they were saying i was just there taking notes man wow. and i was like well, i wish i could have this every week but i don't think <laughs> i don't think i'm qualified but yeah i think when you can't get that free version which i had then you gotta pay for it yeah if you want to be in a room of like entrepreneurs that are making yeah. tens or hundreds of millions of dollars a year revenue, man, that room's not cheap to get into. You, I also you're lucky. feel like if I am going to pay for it, I want to pay for it into the pockets of people who I respect and admire. You right. know what I mean? Like if Elon Musk was like, yo, come to my mastermind, I'd be like, nah, I'm good. Like <laughs> legit, I'm good. And you know, that's why I'm a premium Stack World member because I also feel that like whatever I get out of the experience, at least I know I'm like contributing to someone like Charmantine who I really admire. Right. And same with like Sofia Marissa. Like there are people out there who I'm literally like, the minute you launch something, you have my money. Right. Like that is how much I stand for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to that. So this year, it's been a tumultuous year though, really for entrepreneurs. Even for me, I'm struggling, bro. Mm. I'm glad the year's coming to an end. If you can imagine our kind of thoughts in november 2022 it wasn't the force that we were having now i know oh, from my wow. perspective i was definitely a lot more optimistic with projections oh, yeah. it's been a mad year what's mm. your kind of reflections on the year especially for people in our kind of space like lessons thoughts this is gonna sound so off-brand for me in a way but i think what i've realized about this year is that power trumps it all mm. 
And what's so interesting comparing 2023 to 2020 and 2021 is that we all had a taste of that power. And why, by we, I kind of mean black community in particular. Okay. Yeah. So working in corporate, working, working in the corporate world, services. working on our businesses, working yeah. on ventures. That was this black swan event where suddenly all eyes were on us, rightly or wrongly so, as in whether their intentions were aligned or pure or they were just ticking a box. Mm -hmm. We had this buoyancy. We had this drive, this energy, this attention, and we were able to capitalize on it. And I think that also shaped a lot of our optimism. And it took a really long time for that to wear off and for us to realize that the game had changed. And Time to get sober. <laughs> it's not like... Yeah, sober it's like, up. Sober up, bro. Sober up. That was a short window. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. And what I think is so interesting is that, you know, whoever has the power gets to tell the story, whether that story is true or not. When I think of like the push to return to the office, we know it's not about productivity. You know, when push comes to shove, it's about men that don't want to be around their wife and kids, in my yeah, opinion. That's a, part, that's, a, that's a massive part of it. It's about men who only feel powerful when they're in the office, mm -hmm. getting to boss people around mm -hmm. and dress up in a suit and look important. And they want to feel powerful and they have the power to make themselves feel powerful by pushing us around and shoving us around. So one of the closing, you know, th reflections I have is I had a taste of power. I don't have the power I used to have. I have other types of power. I have soft power, you know, cultural cachet, mm -hmm. this platform. But it makes me think, how do we get back to that place where the voices that I listen to and the people who I admire and these kind of systems changing, people challenging the status quo have that level of power again. So I'm basically obsessed with power is what I'm trying to say. That's my closing thought. Yeah. You know what, what you were saying about that kind of time frame? Mm. I was talking to a friend who runs an agency and he was involved in a project with a very large sportswear manufacturer. Okay. It might rhyme with bike. Bikey, <laughs> depending on who you, who you are. And basically dude was on a call with bikey talking about um, doing a project to do with like black futures or whatever, whatever. And essentially there was a lot of people on his side of the call who had a lot of vim who were basically mm. saying like yo like this is how we want it this is how we want it and and the, the employees of the large corporation had to sit there and be like okay yeah yeah wow. yeah and then basically now that the kind of moment is over those calls on text are not getting responded to because no. they felt like yo you lot were being kind of i don't know if rude was the word but you use your leverage to the, to, to the utmost extent basically where like if the corporations were saying something you'd be like no we're not we're, gonna, we're not doing that Ooh. what we're gonna do is yeah, yeah, yeah. boom 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 basically like and obviously that's a situation where um once you don't have that leverage people remember and <laughs> they're just like okay we're not working with you ever again that's um, and that's 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 yeah that's sad obviously, i see that in my own work yeah, definitely. Listen, it's a pendulum swing back. A lot of people were resentful that they had to sit there and listen to a lot of this stuff. Had to be on Zoom calls, people were talking about inclusion. They couldn't wait for this time to come. They're like, yeah, so we're not Shut doing no DNA. Yeah. Um, it hurts. Yeah. But speaking of just in general anyway, like I've had to retrain my team 
and basically explain to them, I'm like, yo, we're in a new business now. Yeah. I've never been the CEO during kind of like a bear market. Mm. I've never led a sales team during a bear market. Yeah. We've never sold this product in a bear market. Yeah. So one of my kind of sales guys was like, you know, I wouldn't say he was pumping his chest up, but he was like, yeah, you know, I'm a salesman. I've done so. I said, listen, have you ever sold in this kind of market before? And I was like, he's like, no. I was like, okay, well, what's happened in the past is irrelevant. This is exactly, a new day. Yeah. I was like, this is a new day. It's a completely new market. It's a new reality. Whatever you've done in the past doesn't matter. Today's day one. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, I'm starting a new business today. Mm. And that's how I got to look at it, look upon it basically, because what's gone in the past is irrelevant. Like that yeah. was, a, that was a time where companies were calling us and within a week they were sending an invoice and saying, yeah, we're ready to pay. Oh, I'm talking about days, bro. Days. days. Now it's like, okay, like, you know, 12 see months. You in a month. Yeah, see you in a month. <laughs> we'll follow up in a month. We've got uh, a slow moving, whatever, whatever. So it's a completely different business. Bro. And you, and you got to accept that. I have had to dig into my like guerrilla sales tactics. Like I'm talking like my startup techniques when I used to be on sales teams or whatever growth teams doing that in my own business. And it's just so interesting. And, you know, you speak to other founders and you're like, it's like it's day one again. But maybe yeah. that's why Jeff was so successful when he was like, it's still day one, y'all. It's yeah. always day one. The famous Amazon um, quote. But yeah, I think there was a bit of maybe the optimism was driven by naivety this time last year. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think we saw such a huge wave of mobilization at a grassroots level and like at a community level that we felt that that power could be sustained yeah. and could be mobilized again. And I think, you know, the big fat cats have, you know, done their very best to crush us, but I still remain optimistic. And I'll tell you yeah. why. Go on. There's a very popular news trend at the moment here in the UK, which I love, which is stories on employees winning at tribunals, employment okay. tribunals. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. these are employees who've been, you know, laid off or fired for whatever reason, who challenged their employers saying that it was unfair dismissal, that they were discriminated against. Um, and there are a lot of stories of people winning these cases, which is great. Another thing that I see more and more is uh, employees or former employees suing for just general discrimination, sexual, racial, otherwise, or winning. And the other thing that I've really enjoyed watching, which to me is an indicator that we are moving in the right direction, albeit at a glacial pace, the increased scrutiny on corporate conduct, yeah. specifically by chief execs. Um, Kwesi Kwarteng, who was like chancellor for a hot second, used to work at O'Day Asset Management, mm -hmm. uh, the founder of which was caught up in allegations because many of his former employees, women, came forward and said that he had harassed them. Mm -hmm. He tried to blame it on being on anesthetic at one point. I don't know Yikes. how that makes you grope people. Uh, anyway, not only was he fired, but they've had to shut it down, move their assets to other firms. But there are consequences here that might not have been so swiftly felt Can I ask in, you a question, in, then? in times so, past. So a part of me kind of feels like I got to look for these tiny glimmers of hope that things are changing and moving in the right direction. This is a very charged question. Obviously, oh, we always talk about intersectionality, but do you feel like the workplace basically has probably improved more for you as a woman than as a black person this is a very difficult wow. question to answer because what you've just mentioned there is like there are there is an element now where yeah there's certain places that men ain't just gonna go in the workplace a lot of men if they got their wits about them they might have been in a predator before you will lose your job and you will lose everything yeah. you've worked for right now yeah Obviously, there are many people who fit many identities, black women, black queer women, all sorts of identities. But I'm just saying that, like, I feel like the BLM kind of moment mm. within the corporate world, it's like, forget all that. <laughs> That's gone. Yeah. We're not working to improve that whatsoever. 
But do you think at least there's a glimmer of hope that perhaps maybe now there is a change with the Me Too movement that we won't go back to that? To the way things were, how bad things could got could get, and I'm asking this question as a yeah, dude. I don't know. It's I do really not know. Interesting, actually, because there's still a lot of sexism and there's still a lot of misogyny, and that's right. not going to go anywhere. And probably what this has done has pushed it behind closed doors, which okay, maybe is yeah. worse. Because at least when it's out in the open, we can like scrutinize it and discuss it, and you know, hopefully create a teachable moment for someone without too much trauma. Um, so I think that's something that I think is really worrying. I think you know, your original question was, is it better to be a woman, but not necessarily better to be black in the workplace right now? And I think undoubtedly, yeah, you know, things have improved for women in the workplace. There is a language to talk about things that didn't exist before, whether it's like hashtag me too, microaggressions or whatever. And there's still a lot of white supremacy in the workplace. You know, here in the UK, it is a predominantly white country. It has a history of, you know, empire, colonialization, all these kinds of things. It's still better to be white than anything else race-wise in the UK right now. Mm. And that's undeniable. Um, it's definitely still better to be a man than a woman in the workplace too. If you just look at the cold hard statistics of who's yeah. getting hired, who's getting promoted, who's getting paid well. But that said, um, things have improved for women. And the people who have benefited the most from that improvement in gender you know, equity is white women, without a doubt. Yeah. To be clear, cisgendered, heterosexual able-bodied white women because there's still a lot of transphobia there's still a lot of ableism um still a lot of homophobia people in the closet all that kind of stuff so it's a complicated thing and i definitely think that one of the things that's been really frustrating about this year is that we have lost the ability or rather the willingness to talk about race right and I see this with my clients, like in 2020, people are like, we want anti-racism training. We want this. We want that. We are, we want to talk about white fragility. We want to talk about white supremacy in 2023. People don't even want to mention the fact they're white. Literally. I did a workshop where someone was just like, what does being white have to do with my lived experience? I was like, because that is your lived experience. Right. So one of the things that has happened is there was a ability to make white people uncomfortable in 2020, even 2021, and white people were willing to drop their privilege for a second and go on that journey and be uncomfortable. But what's happening in 2023 is like white people are just like, I don't want to be uncomfortable anymore. And I think a lot of people in my space have been literally explicitly asked to like whitewash content, tone things down. And if tone I'm being down. asked that as a DNI practitioner, what does it then feel like to be the only black person on your team or one of the few? You might have been wearing your hair naturally in 2020. Those braids are back. That weave is back. That wig is back. The pressure to assimilate mm. is back once more and probably being felt even more strongly. Yeah. It's a very charged topic, but it's interesting. Food for thought. I just wanted to pick your brain on that question. I don't know where it would go. And I don't necessarily know what the answer is or what's, what's really changed, but I just thought it would be uh, good content as well. well yeah, interesting. <laughs> you know, what's it like to be black right now based on like what was coming out of the live show, techish live show. A lot yeah. of people wanting to move on from environments where they don't feel safe and they don't feel supported. So somebody asked me like, or asked us, they were like, yo, like I want to leave my job. What should I do basically? Right. Mm -hmm. In this environment, I'm looking in the job market and I, this was outside of even whatever your kind of identity is. I was basically just saying like, listen, if you can stay in your job, mm -hmm. I've been giving that advice to a few people, really? as long as your mental health isn't completely destroyed in your current work environment. Cause I've had people close to me who are like, yeah, I'm looking for a new job. I hate this place. And I'm like, all right, have a look at the job market and see what's there. Wow. Because right now the job market is not doing great. It's yeah. not looking good in it. And I know people who went and had a look at that job market, got humbled and stayed happy in their, in their current really? job. Yeah, listen, 100%. Wow. I know people that are on six figures in the UK, which is astronomical. And like, I'm like, you're not finding that right now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I knew the job market changed. 
as an employer when I was hiring and during the kind of bull market, I was getting ghosted on interviews. Ghosted so, on interviews? Yeah, so people would be like, yeah, I want to, you know, I'm applying yeah. for this role, email back and forth. What time is the Zoom call? This is the time. Okay, I'll go there. I'm, I'm waiting in the Zoom call. They're not there. I'm wow. like, okay, cool. Then you've obviously got multiple offers. Then sometimes those very same individuals would email me the next day or two days later. And yeah. I'm saying like, oh, do you still have any jobs open? And I was like, oh, wow, the market's changed now. Wow. Within the space of a week, the market changed. Because really? it went from getting ghosted to people that were now ghosting me coming back a week later saying, oh, I'm so sorry. Can I, can I come back? Do you have any offer? Like, I'm like, why am I going to hire you after you just ghosted me on the interview? Wow. And that's when I knew the market wasn't what it once was. Mm. Um, it became an employer's market to a certain extent. Right. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. But just in general, sometimes... Um, yeah, people just are looking be strategic about when you're leaving, yeah. basically, because the market is is, is terrible is right key. now. It's terrible right now. Like I know people who are like junior developers who probably would have found the role eventually. They've been looking for like two years, a year. They can't wow. find nothing. Um, bootcamp students, even worse. Like you know what I'm saying in terms of like finding at that entry level job. Mm. Um, so are you saying that beggars can't be choosers right now? I'm saying know your position and know what what your leverage is. In capitalism, it's all about leverage. There's no friends in this game. It's about what is your position? What mm. is your leverage? But what about people that want soft life? Because I know a lot of our listeners. Uh, <laughs> if you can find it, good for you. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Mm. Don't get it twisted. But unfortunately for most of us, that ain't going to be the case. And that was just a cold, hard conversation I've had to have with a few people. And I've said that on the live show. I said, listen, like, buy your time. Mm. If you can bear your current job, do it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because to be honest, as an entrepreneur, I have a skewed perspective where I'm like, if you've got a job that's paying you six figures, mm. do you know how hard it is to build a business that generates six figures in profits? Yeah. That's your business. Look after that. Don't leave that eye like easily, like yeah. unless you've been pushed out or you really, really hate your job. Yeah. Kind of thing. Because that's not an easy thing to just walk into now, right? Um, and yeah, I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'm being too pessimistic to, yeah. for, in the job market. I don't know how it is exactly in the US. I just know in the UK, like a lot of people have been humbled when they've mm. done that job search, thinking they could just walk into the next thing because that's how it was. It was for a long time. Yeah, it was for a, for a few months or a year, a few years. You know what? So here's a change of topic. So you sent me an image of someone that we know. Uh, it looked like they were networking. Looked like they were selling. They sell products. And it looked like there was, it was a male person and it looked like there was a lot of middle-aged Karen type women all up on them, <laughs> basically, right? Yeah. So it started a dialogue in my head where I was like, what are you willing to do to close those big deals? Because, wow. because like, if you are an entrepreneur, what I used to be, I used to sell like an online SaaS type product. We mm. sell job posts. It would be like $200. You tie it up, put in a credit card. Then we started moving to like enterprise level deals yeah. where sometimes it could be 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 mm. dollars. Like, and to get those things signed off in the beginning in a bull market, it's easy. Later on, it becomes harder. Mm. It's all more about personal relationships. Okay. So when I saw that picture, I was like, he got to do what he's got to do. Okay. <laughs> For context, this person was literally being like leaned upon. Leaned heavily. on. Leaned this on. This is a young, you know, It's a good looking man. guy as well. He's a young, good looking black man who had some mamas like yeah, upon all up on him. him. And they might not be decision makers. They might have just been some drunk people. All I know but is they look like shot callers. There was way too much body contact to make me feel comfortable. <laughs> I was just like, if the table were turned and some middle-aged dudes were literally touching me like that i'd be calling security yeah i would be calling security i'd be like no 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 yeah but i think it, it, it you know it's an interesting thing where uh he's a good looking chap so i would imagine that it's very convenient sometimes maybe to fall back and mm. on that charm to close a deal because a lot UT of privilege a lot of these sort of high level deals 
you you might be selling a commodity and it's basically do i like you mm. i'm an executive at this company do i like you and we want to believe that that like is based on personality it's based on you know your content that you're putting out there that yeah. i can relate to you but sometimes it's also just that visceral human reaction of you, you look good every you know weapon in your arsenal <laughs> you know to bring it back to the battlefield that is you know business building and sales hey i got lipstick on my desk i try to look nice in my sales calls um i think about it a lot i actually talked about this in a workshop yesterday because i think that i have benefited from beauty privilege 100%. I've I benefited from the fact that I'm a light-skinned black woman because I'm mixed race. I'm Nigerian and Filipino. I benefited from the fact that, you know, within the mainstream beauty standards, I tick a lot of boxes, you know, like I'm a relatively slim build, all this kind of stuff. You know, some of my favorite people um like Kimberly Foster for Harriet talk about how if you are a curvier woman, you often have feel the need to hide yourself in the workplace right. because people associate big boobs, big butt with, you know, whatever, sluttiness and like not being intellectual. So, you know, I'm not very curvy. So I guess all those things have maybe worked to my advantage. But would I let someone touch me or feel to a get certain too close, way? Basically. I, I, you know, especially in the game that I'm in, it doesn't feel right. Right, yeah. If I was like selling i don't know a lingerie brand or like a fashion brand like or even if you're like a real estate agent like yeah i mean it depends like it's a relationship-based business but i'm literally like in a field where it's all about professionalism and teaching people the best and you know the best practices so it wouldn't work for me but look i've been known to wine and dine a client or two i've been known to schmooze as a way to again just curry favor as we say wait is that racist no i don't think so cool Thanks. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I, don't I mean, it's your job. You should know this. I, I, you, I go I to you for this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. What about you? I mean, listen, Will I'm. You let a, aunties I'm, feel up on you. It's difficult. You know what? I I don't know about feel up on me, but if <laughs> I felt like if I got if I felt like there was a, the thing is as a as a man, you you can tell the difference between a person who pretty much is just looking upon you as like a, just a bog standard individual yeah. and somebody who might be feeling you a little bit mm. because that difference is stark. Cause as a man, normally you, you can walk around quite invisibly. Mm. Whereas as a woman, if you're like relatively attractive, you're probably going to get every single ra- person around you probably is like, you know, maybe has an ulterior motive or at least perceives you yeah. as a sexual being or yeah. object to be frank. Yeah. So when I've noticed when someone's like, Oh, this person, I can tell this person's like feeling flirting, me. Flirting. Yes. And this, this is not normal. Like you flirt back. No, it depends. But now I'm thinking if they were a, a shot caller. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, yeah, thank you. You with Oprah. Listen, if there's a if there's, if there's a deal to be made, because the thing is, I'm starting to think like, yo, I've got people paying mortgages on my payroll. Hey man, they, I got to do what I got to do. <laughs> wink that wink, smile that smile, put that extra lip balm on, like. You know what? It's it's, but this is what we were talking about earlier, though, in the mm. sense that like, that is the world in which the predators preyed in the Weinsteins the type of people who and this is why we probably shouldn't be making super duper light of it because obviously there was a world where there were people that were preying on women who knew so for example Weinstein for example knew that many women saw him as their big break yes so he was like I've got leverage over these people. Abuse of power. Abuse of power, 100%, mm. basically, right? So it's not, a, you know, a completely lighthearted subject. But as a man, obviously, there's a dynamic where there's a power, the power imbalance isn't the same in it, really. So I'm not going to be fearful of anything happening to me, mm. per se. You know what I'm saying? But it's whether I am morally okay with leading somebody on or leveraging stuff that I know that I have, this is not going anywhere, yeah. you know, what you would like to believe. Um, I think the interesting thing- But it's about- never happened to me before, I'll be honest with you, because I've, I've sold products 
you know yeah. through zoom and through software so it's never i've never been in a situation um, no but, what, been like, but oh. where, where it has happened maybe yeah. somebody's like oh i listen to techish i love techish and i can tell they're excited as a mm. fan people be sliding into your dms no but what i'm saying no my girlfriend's listening that never happens so, <laughs> so <laughs> what i'm saying is though like even on a zoom call where someone works for a company and they, yeah. they come to me about what my business offers if they're a fan of techish it's an easier sell of course they're like oh michael yeah yeah how's that but they see you like and i'll yeah. be like i don't know really off mic we don't talk off mic <laughs> I'm joking, I anyways. uh yeah anyways yeah, that's really interesting i don't know i think there are a lot of us who on paper will say i would never compromise my morals or my ethics in service of this goal or that goal but the reality is it's so subjective what we deem morally right or wrong when it comes to our own lives case by case basis like i said all right cool we'll leave it there Yo everyone, thank you for listening. That's been this week's Techish. Um, you've been awesome as always. Leave a review in the show notes and hit us up at, at Techish Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We will catch you next week. Bye.